This is episode 59 of, the, of A Pot of Their Own, as I just frantically looked up, because apparently time is a flat circle. I am Allison McCaig, and I am joined this week by my co-host, Linda Surovich. Hi, Linda. Hey, Allison. And we are also joined this week by Jen Ramos. You guys may remember them from the last time they were on the pod. Say hi to the listeners, Jen. Hey, everyone. Thanks for having me on. Um, so, uh, in case you don't remember, uh, we had Jen on the pod once before. They are research and development and prospects at Baseball Prospectus. You should be reading their work if you aren't, and all of the lovely work that is going on at Baseball Prospectus. I've contributed there a few times myself. Um, it is a great website. Um, this week, we will be talking about primarily two things. Um, mostly, there's not much Mets stuff to talk about, but... The reason why there isn't Mets stuff to talk about is in and of itself a topic of discussion. Um, So we will be talking about uh, the Mets having two cases of coronavirus um, that caused their schedule to be suspended for several days. um, And now they have uh, kind of the worst schedule ever coming up um, as a result of trying to make up all those games. Um, so, yeah, they they obviously didn't release the names of the folks that tested positive um, out of, you know, interest of HIPAA rules if the player doesn't want to be identified he doesn't have to be identified so the Mets the Mets decided that they didn't want their player or the player himself decided he did not want to be identified but we know that it is likely one of Tomas Nito or Andres Jimenez and I think there's a beat reporter who I won't name because I don't want to shame people (laughs) on the pod but I think a beat reporter accidentally leaked it um yeah basically (laughs) um so I think we're pretty sure their fault or if it was how Ramo I mean Rojas phrased it yeah because uh, they kind of like you can't it's it's hard because you have HIPAA rules obviously which should not be violated but then you have to put them on the COVID injured list and then like or the injured list in general and they just put people on the injured list for quote undisclosed reasons and then that causes speculation if we already know the Mets have positive tests then we kind of by process of elimination can figure it out so the Mets placed both Andres Jimenez and Tomas Nito on the injured list for undisclosed reasons we did know that it was one player and one coach who had tested positive so it couldn't have been both Andres Jimenez and Tomas Nito who had tested positive um so it's one or the other and the other one either has some sort of injury that is not COVID or um, related or by contact tracing, they determined that that player had was in close contact with the player who tested positive. Um, so, but I and think Gary the, DeSarcina and Hensley Mullins aren't with the team. Yes. Those so two we don't is currently yeah. with the team. So it's one of them, but we don't know. Um, but it's not really all that relevant who it is. Um, all that is relevant is that the Mets did have, um, Mets did have a COVID, a case, a, a two cases of COVID on their team. But the positive thing is that unlike the previous two um, major like outbreaks, it didn't spread as fast to the rest of the team. As far as we know yet, they had a bunch of negative tests subsequently, which is why they have resumed play. Uh, tonight as we record this on Tuesday evening um so that's good but I think um, they're the only team that had multiple people test positive and not have an outbreak so far yes because the Reds only had one person test positive but anybody else who's had multiples have led to an outbreak so 
I guess maybe the takeaway is the protocols worked. I, I mean, yeah, possibly. I, like, I was, I was skeptical of MLB's protocols, but it seems to the extent that teams are following them, they're actually working. And, I mean, I don't know how much of this is, like, New York media bias or whatever else, but the media did make a point uh, after these tests came out to sort of, there were more than one uh, pieces all of a sudden showing up in the New York beat being like, oh, the Mets are one of the like best teams at adhering to the protocols of all the teams. So the fact that they've had um, a positive is, you know, troubling for the viability of the sport. I think that was the exact phrasing of what um, Bradford wrote in the New York Daily News. Um it was troubling for the viability of the sport that the Mets, um, who seemed to be following protocols, um, had these tests. But um, it does seem that the fact that they are following protocols, by all uh, accounts, um, is paying off for them, um, which is good, I guess. But yeah, now they're now they uh, have to scrape together um, a rotation for the next um, nine games in six days that they have, um, and we're already we seeing just... how well that's going. Yeah, can we also, before we move on, call for a public apology to Strowman and Cespedes? Yes, please. Because they specifically, Strowman specifically mentioned Miami, and look at what happened. Yep, yep. Um, and yeah, so Strowman and Cespedes opted out of the season. All the assholes in our mentions were all about how they weren't actually doing it for COVID reasons, and they were being selfish, and they walked out on the team, blah, blah, blah. Welp, um, looks like they were right and you guys were wrong. So um, we shouldn't be giving players crap for opting out ever because they are actually putting their health and their bodies on the line and they don't have to be doing this for your entertainment, as we've been saying on the pod past few weeks now. Um, I don't know how you can still have teams playing in Florida. I know, like, the timing's weird, so, like, you don't know where they picked it up. It could have been Philadelphia or Florida. But it just, it, it's not good that the Marlins got sick first. Now the Mets were in Miami and got sick. It should, like, they should have had a backup plan. And it's very, it's very evident that they didn't. Yeah. I mean, like, the, the, like, Canada was smart enough to not let the Blue Jays play there. And they had to come Uh up with a contingency plan. So, I mean, it's looking more and more like what's funny is, I think, like, way back when, they were the MLB was talking about a bubble, but they were talking about a bubble in Arizona and Florida, which is exactly the wrong idea. I mean, the bubbles <laughs> seem to work in other sports, um, yep. but, the of course, MLB considered it, A, didn't do it, and this is the result, and B, even when they were considering it, they were going to put it in the spots where COVID cases were on the rise at the time. So, yeah, I don't know. I think also with like the fact that they were thinking Arizona and Florida, like obviously because of the spring training sites and then you got the backfields there. So there's like a ton of fields, but like if they don't have a really strict bubble protocol, the way that like the NHL and the NBA have, like there would have been more outbreaks going on there. Yeah, absolutely. And like, we've already seen, players you know break protocol uh break mlb protocol with going out and whatnot um and being punished for it but like you have you can't i mean it's not enough to just punish them after the fact you gotta have to prevent it from happening in the first place Um, and i don't know because it might be 
okay because the NBA is bubbling at Disney World or Disneyland, wherever the ones in Florida, and they've had no test. They've had nobody test positive since they bubbled. So, I guess it is doable in Florida, but again, you need to make sure everybody's all in and make sure everybody buys in. And again, as we've seen, that is clearly not the case in baseball. Yeah. I wonder, like, I mean, obviously, I don't know. I don't know nearly as much about the NFL as I know about um, baseball, but like, I wonder how they're going to handle this because like, it's going to be a lot harder for them because a, it's a contact sport. B, like they have giant rosters so keeping yeah. track of that many more players is going to be like a challenge i can imagine um so i don't know um how that's going to go down but i wish them the best of luck I guess. <laughs> especially since they're apparently opening up like the miami dolphins are opening up their stadium to fans what that's gonna be a disaster yeah the of course the dolphins, dolphins are doing that in florida yeah, yeah, so that, that I'm sure that will go well, very well. Oh yeah, gosh. sure. Oh My brother's a big Miami Dolphins fan, so I'm gonna send him a uh, a text roasting him later um, for that. I think the Chiefs were too. Oh boy, solid plan, guys. Solid plan. Um, uh, I know the baseball was considering bubbling for the playoffs, but I feel like that's something they should probably set in stone now. Yeah, and not and, fly by the seat of their wait. pants like they have been doing. Because <laughs> like, that's the thing I mean, is, like, like yeah. even if the protocols are working now, which it seems like they are for the most part, like, it took them a while to get here. They weren't here before, like, all this stuff that the Mets had to do, like, they were talking about how, like, the Mets had to socially distance on the flight and they had to wear masks during the entire flight and not take them off. It's like, why were these things not in place in the first place why were masks in the dugout not in place in the first place that was only yep. later that they did that like all these things they seem to be just like making up as they go like oh oh crap like we have some coronavirus so let's like put in more stricter measures it's like well you should have had a lot of these to begin with if not all of them yeah and i think the... that's what's so disheartening sorry i didn't mean to cut you it's off it's okay no it's okay Oh, go ahead. <laughs> oh, that's what's so disheartening about it is that it seems like they just, they're making it up. Like, they're like, oh, they, they, there was something about how, oh, the Reds weren't allowed to travel, but the Mets were, and they're, but the Mets had more people test positive, so why are they traveling when the Reds couldn't? It's like, why is there no standard for, like, I get it's a virus, it's unpredictable, you, it's hard to plan, but there should at least be something you can hold on to and, like, say, okay, if this happens, then we can do this. If this happens, then we go this route. And it just seems like they're they're making it up. Yeah, what I was going to say is the 2020 MLB season is, like, whose line is that anyway where everything's made up and the points don't matter? <laughs> yeah, it basically is. It basically is. Oh, and it like... so is. That's such a good analogy. And the thing that I keep thinking about is how they didn't even have, like, a, an idea for how the playoffs would work until, like, the first week of the season. And they announced it after opening day. So, like, they really do not even have a plan for the postseason, considering they didn't have a plan until opening day. Um, yep. So, I sometimes I feel like they're not even going to announce 
how the playoffs are going to work. If like it's going to be in a bubble or not until like the last week of the season. <laughs> That's probably very true. Yeah, it's it's. And then they'll have to scramble to find a site. Like so a state will say, "No, we don't want you here." Like Toronto did, and then they're going to be up in the air again. Yeah, because honestly, I mean, like you're going to have to weigh like the states are going to have to weigh like what is the potential like obviously they should be putting the health of their citizens first but being the cynic that i am about how politicians operate oftentimes like they're going to weigh that against the potential revenue of having playoffs in their state although since there's no fans i don't know how much extra revenue any said state will get just they will get extra revenue from the teams like you know the teams staying there and stuff like that but and that's a lot like the rosters are big, and if I don't know, I guess you would have two bubble sites, one for the east and one for the west. But I guess you would also need the taxi squad coming with you. So what is that? About thirty people per team. So that's a lot of people coming into your state. Yeah. Plus, I mean, obviously, plus staff. yeah, coaches, staff. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. So like. If you're doing the whole 60-man roster, plus coaches, plus managers, plus athletic staff, that's, like, maybe 100 people per team at worth, like, at best, maybe. And, like, I'm also thinking about it because, like, I watch the Giants a lot, obviously, because I grew up a Giants fan. They have a 13-man coaching staff alone, not counting managers. So I'm like, that that's already, like, 73 people. Um, so that's going to be a disaster. And, you know, other teams have big coaching staffs, too, not, not as big as the Giants. But, like, you're, you're, going, you're looking at 75 to 100 people at best. Yeah. That's, so that's a lot. Yeah, for eight teams. So that's, like, 800 people going into one city alone. Yep. And, obviously, they increase the number of teams that are making the playoffs. So that makes it even more than it ordinarily would be. Um, so yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be something else. Um, so yeah, if if they want to, you know, do this, they should probably do it now. Yeah. Yeah. They should probably solidify that plan now, but they're not. Um, and the Mets have, you know, essentially no rotation at all. They have Jacob deGrom and that's (laughs) it. Um, and they, and we're already seeing the fruits of that bear itself out in game one of this first doubleheader that the Mets are playing. Um, but your man's, your man's is starting. I know, finally, Seth Lugo going to start a game. Um, what does the man have to do to start a game? Apparently, his team has to get coronavirus and a bunch of his games have to get canceled and then he can finally start. <laughs> um, but it's, it's under less than ideal circumstances. It's... I, I'm I'm upset because, like, I've waited so long for, like, Seth Lugo to finally get his chance again to start, and it's going to, like, I'm not sure it's going to go well because it's going to be under this, like, weird, the season's already weird, he's had a bunch of days off now, like, I just don't think, and then everybody's going to be like, see, I was right, and I'm going to be like, meh. <laughs> well, see, he, he, wasn't, he wasn't prepared. He couldn't practice. <laughs> like, like it's that's just the other problem like the rash of injuries especially the pitchers it's it's what everyone yeah. said would happen and yeah. surprise yeah and i mean i don't know like we we make fun of the mats like obviously they didn't have death going into it so that was obvious but it's not just them like 
you, you've seen I think at one point there was like 50 pitchers on the injured list and it's just a weird season and I don't know like the Mets should have planned a little better but this is just compounding that problem I mean, heading into the Subway Series, uh, the Yankees had to place Glavier Torres and James Paxton on the injury list oh. um, at the same time, which adds to their already burgeoning injury problem. So, like, it's it's not just the Mets. It's certainly not just the Mets. Um, like, a whole bunch of teams are dealing with injuries, and it's what everyone thought would happen because it's not just, like... People think, I think people misunderstand pitching injuries a lot, and they think that, like, oh, if he pitches too much, he'll get hurt. It's also when pitchers don't pitch enough, they get hurt, too. Like, and they people were talking about quickly. the time off from the coronavirus, and, like, people were saying, oh, he had all this rest, like, he should be fine. No, 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 when, when guys sit for a long time, and then they have to, like, ramp it up to, like, 100 again, that's really hard for them to do, and that was the huge challenge coming into this season was like, yeah, obviously guys had a really long, extra long off season, but like you can't expect them to just ramp it up right away. And that's going to cause a lot of injuries. But I don't know. It's not just pitchers too. It's Stanton, it's judge and judge was on a tear too, which was, yeah. yeah. So that was kind of a shame for, the Yankees and I think LeMahieu was hurt too so it's kind of like it's kind of sad because how can you judge the season when you have teams that are going to be playing like 25 doubleheaders in September you have teams missing players who are just missing for undisclosed location for undisclosed reasons you have injuries because of the weird season like I just, I don't know how historically you can view view this season as, I don't want to say it's not legitimate, but there's just so many factors that it, it's hard to compete when you're, you have to deal with all these, all these things. I feel like a lot of this season, as far as like the, the record books or the stats are just going to kind of get thrown out, like, or like not thrown out, but like considered less in the grand scheme of things. And I mean, people have talked about this already, but it'll be interesting to see how it affects, you know, like free agent salaries and things like that, because like, how much are they going to consider this season for a guy who may have gotten a big payday? Um, in the free agent market, but this season he was hurt, or this season he didn't perform up to his usual career norms. Like, how can you possibly ding him for that? Um, who knows? And, and like, on the other side of things, like, how does this affect somebody who performs a la Lance Lynn? Like, he's suddenly yeah. good again, out of nowhere. He's great, and, like, that's awesome for him, and I hope he continues to pitch well. Good for him. But, like, it's definitely out of line with his career norms in the other direction. So, like, who knows exactly what will happen. Um, it's wild. It's a weird season. Everything is weird. They probably shouldn't be playing it. Yeah, here we are. Um, but, yeah, uh, we will move on now to sort of wider baseball issues. Um, we uh, uh, very much in line with the sort of things that we talk about on this podcast. Uh, there was an incident last week. Was it last week now? How many days ago was it now? Um, 
yeah, I think it was last week, um, where uh, Tom Brenneman, uh, the Reds broadcaster, used a homophobic slur on a hot mic during the broadcast. I'm not going to repeat it, obviously, um, but if you want to look it up for some reason, you can probably find it. Um, he then, basically, he said it when he didn't, when he didn't know the mic was on, but it, obviously, if you say things when you are surrounded by other people, um, even if you don't know the mic is on, it's, it's still a reflection of something you would normally say. Um, he then issued a very strange, like, on-air apology, um, during which he said he was, quote, a man of faith, um, and took a moment to call a home run during said apology when he was apo- while he was apologizing, which was very odd, um, and then went on to say that the, this is not who he is, which is obviously nonsense. Um, so yeah, that was really upsetting, um, obviously, um, for folks, um, both in the LGBTQ community and folks who care about the LGBTQ community and want them to feel included in baseball. So, um, yeah, we wanted to bring Jen on to talk about this because obviously it's not necessarily an isolated incident. Um, it's not surprising necessarily, but that doesn't make it any less saddening. Yeah, it's... I have so many feelings about this, especially as a queer, non-binary baseball writer. It's just, I mean, first of all, when he was like, I'm a man of faith, it's like, uh, queer people can be people of faith as well. Like, that's not an isolated thing to be a man of faith and be homophobic when queer people are very much also people of faith. I mean, I grew up around two openly gay Catholic priests. So I'd like to see him use that word around him. Um, but for me, I I keep seeing it as like, it's not necessarily about just Tom Brenneman. It's about the environment in which he's in that he feels comfortable saying a slur around people. Um, and that's more indicative of like, what does that say about the environment in the broadcast booth? What does that say about the environment at the ballpark? What does that say about the environment with the Reds, with MLB? Um, It's just a lot of things that are going into it that is not just Tom Brenneman that people should be looking at, but should be looking at baseball's environment as a whole. Yeah, definitely. And it's like people keep talking about how there hasn't been, you know, an out, gay player in baseball um and obviously that's really that would be a really important milestone to have that um and obviously statistically speaking there have probably been and there have been we know this there have been players um who are not straight um playing but they don't feel comfortable being out and that would be a huge milestone but i think that like people get too focused on that one thing and we need to talk about not just the what the clubhouses look like we need to talk about what the broadcast booths look like what the people covering baseball look like what the people in front offices look like it's not just about what it's not just about what players look like it's about creating um a an environment in all of these places surrounding the game that is welcoming to folks of all um all sexualities all races um and so like these comments are like you said jen it's like it, the fact that he can so casually just drop that. It means that he's done it before. Um, and it means that he's in a place where he feels comfortable to do that. Um, and that's a huge, huge problem. 
um, and the monopolizing, you know, the the idea of being a man of faith. Like, not only can queer people be people of faith, nor do people who claim to be people of faith have a monopoly on morality or what is good. Well, and yeah. also what, well, I'm sorry, but what bothered okay. me, too, is um, when he was replaced, finally, in the booth, like, three innings later, his uh, his partner goes, oh, you're a good man. What? Like, he just has to leave because he said a slur on air, and you're just re reiterating that he's a good man? Uh, like, that's the part that also bothered me, too, is did they not see what he did was wrong in the moment? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, clearly... It's again, it's about the environment that's created there. Like, clearly, if his partner thinks he's a good guy, like, he's gonna feel, you know, like he has free reign to say what he wants. Um, and so that's deeply unfortunate. I mean, he was removed from the broadcast for the second game of the doubleheader and fired from his role as an NFL broadcaster. Um, so we'll see what happens. But in his apology, too, what, what struck me about it is the way he. Like, they always make it about them and not about the people they're hurting. Yeah. Like, he, he, like, he was like, I don't know if this is the last time I'll ever put on the headset again. And it's like, that's not what, that's not what's being lamented here. It's, it's how you acted. Like, you should, you should be held accountable. It's not about, it's not about you. It's about the people that you've hurt. It's about centering them, not about centering you. Yeah, and that was the thing. It's like, he's apologizing for getting caught. He was apologizing to his bosses and saying, I don't know when I'll ever call a game again, without even addressing what it was that he did, why it was wrong, and apologizing to the people he hurt. And then um, the Red's apology, along with like his apology, was more like, I'm sorry if you were offended. It's like, it's not about offending people, it's about hurting people. And that's where my issue is with that apology, is that it... it centered himself centered him being caught and it doesn't even address lgbtq people at all right and like how many times do we have to see teams go through this to understand how to properly apologize for something like i know it's completely unrelated obviously and far less important but like you watched what happened with the Astros during their cheating scandal. You watched how bad they were at apologizing and not just saying straight up, we're sorry to everyone that we hurt and we're sorry that we, that we fucked up. Like, it would, it's, oftentimes it's that, it's that simple. Obviously you have to back up your words with action, but as far as actually issuing a good apology, it really is just about saying, I'm sorry to everyone that I hurt. I screwed up. This was unacceptable. Like, it's, and they, like, time and time again, we see these same, I'm sorry you're offended stuff. And it's, it's, and nobody ever learns. Nobody ever learns. It's, it's oh, mind-boggling. Nope. And one of the other things that I was thinking about that was kind of brought up a, a little while ago is how, like, MLB hasn't really had any out ball players at the major league level um, because then, like, that would change things a lot. But I don't know if either of you have heard of the story of Tyler Dunnington. Was he the minor league ball player who committed suicide? Because I know there was one. 
I don't think that was him, but Tyler Dunnington was with the St. Louis Cardinals, and he was a minor leaguer. He quit in 2015 after hearing his teammates talking about killing gay people, and oh. he is a gay man, and he wrote to Out Sports in 2016 to share his story, and he said that he was one of the unfortunate closeted gay athletes who experienced years of homophobia in the sport that he loved. Um, and he explained a little bit more about like what had happened. And he's and the article said like somehow the chatter one day brewed about gay people and the coach made a bragging reference to the brutal murder of Matthew Shepard. And then said, we kill gay people in Wyoming. And then the article said like, um, the comment killed Dunnington's spirit. And I believe this was in when he was still in college. Um, and that alone just also kind of highlights the problem that's been going on in MLB because there was an openly gay minor leaguer at one point, David Denson with the Milwaukee Brewers. Um, and his career as a professional ball player didn't last that long, but still you would think that someone who's openly out and you know talking about it would have an impact on the game but it didn't and David Denson came out was it like maybe 2016 um 2015 but you know in time since then we've had the incident with Kevin Pillar also using a homophobic slur and the fact that that happened after there was a out pro ball player in the minor leagues that were like affiliated ball, like that goes to show that there is more of a problem in MLB's culture than than anything. That it's still ingrained there, and there's really nothing that's that's changing it. Right. Right. Yeah, I remember that. Now that you mention it, I remember that out sports article, and I will um, I'll link it in the show post and the tweets for this week um, because it's important for everyone to read. I think who haven't who hasn't read it. Um, but yeah, I, it's just like can you, I I can't. I mean, like obviously as like a cis straight person, I can't even imagine walking into a clubhouse and just feeling so like. So, like, you can't even exist there. Like, your very existence is threatened just by walking into the clubhouse um, for, like, you know, just trying to do what you love and play the sport that you love. It's 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 upsetting. It's, it's super yeah, upsetting. Yeah, it's heartbreaking. And I think it was Cheryl Ring. She said that MLB's response to any time this comes up is to just have Billy Bean issue a statement, basically. And, yeah. like, they need to do more than that. Like, that's well and good, but it needs to go beyond that now. Like, that's not that's not enough. You're not... It needs to go beyond that now. And I feel like all the, like, rainbow avatars and, like, pride knights, like, ring so hollow when you don't actually take further actions to make LGBTQ folks feel welcome in your... Um, in your franchise um, and in MLB as a whole. Like, they do these performative things. Like, yeah. They do it because they think it's cool and they think that it'll, like, you know, it's it's about the brand for them. Like, oh, we're going to put rainbow stuff because it's about the brand. And, like, it's, it's, it pisses me off. Like, and I can't imagine how 
how not straight people feel about this. Like, it, it, to see them, like, put these rainbow avatars when they don't actually do, like, shit for LGBTQ people is disgusting. Like, you might as well not put it at all. Like, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, for me, it, I just always look at it as like, oh, good, more rainbow capitalism. That's, yeah, that's exactly what us gay people have been asking for. Not systemic change or anything. Um, so that, exactly. It's, it's frustrating also because, like, I've experienced it a lot. Like, there are times where, um, like, when I'm covering baseball and I'm, you know, out at the field and talking to people like the only people who really know that I'm out are like the people who I corresponded with in uh, different front offices because they know my writing they know I've been you know writing as a queer baseball writer so like they're very aware from that and like my pronouns are in my email signature and they're following that but then like when I'm on the field like if I'm getting misgendered I don't even want to point it out because I'm like i don't know how they'll react I don't know what the if I would be putting myself in any danger or anything and I think like that to me is also telling that I can't that I don't feel open like I can be open that I'm you know not cis and not a woman and I'm on the field and getting players to respect that I'm like I don't know how they're gonna react I don't know how to even broach that topic with them so I just don't say anything because like I fear more for my safety and like obviously being um you know femme I can pass as cis as much as I can but like on the field it's really hard because like there's this struggle for me where I'm just like I want to be my authentic self but I don't know how these players are going to react I don't know what their views are on a lot of stuff I don't know if they're going to be you know, they're supporting me or whatever. So it's a really hard thing to navigate. And even when I worked in indie ball, like um, Lindsay Gibbs uh, interviewed me for Think Progress um, because I might have been like one of the first openly non-binary executives in baseball anywhere, whether it be MLB affiliated or not. Um, Even after that came out and how my pronouns are they, them, the entire staff kept misgendering me and I just gave up on it because they were not they were not listening and they read the article they shared it and still did not respect me so it's it's a terrible environment because like all these teams are like oh we got to do something for pride month we got to do something you know to bring lgbtq fans to the ballpark but when people who work in baseball are treated terribly like how I have, I'm sure I'm not an isolated incident. It just makes people think like, well, why are we still in this? And like, for me, a lot of that is why I stopped pursuing MLB jobs because I don't know if it would be an open and welcome environment for a queer non-binary filipino person so it it's disappointing because there's so much work that can be done but there's also so much more like people pushing back against it and the problem there lies in that 
people aren't willing to change unless they are forced to. And I feel like with, with the current political climate and the uprisings, like, there are more people who feel comfortable actually saying something a little bit. Um, but I, I'm also weary of MLB doing anything right especially with how they're handling Black Lives Matter with a lot of it being performative. Yeah, for sure. I thought of that also. And, like, how, like, they're out here doing this, like, pre-anthem anthem so that they can kneel. And then, like, yet the N-word is still thrown around on, like, a regular basis um, among, like, you know... MLB fans, like, ask Adam Jones about what he experienced in Boston. He's talked about it. Um, you know, it's just, it's it's really frustrating. And, like, I feel like as, like, folks who are not in these marginalized communities need to step up a lot more. Because we can't expect folks in marginalized communities to constantly be doing the work to try to break these barriers down when it comes at the cost of their safety and their comfort. We need to make ourselves uncomfortable because we don't, we aren't risking anything the way that marginalized folks are. We aren't risking, you know, our safety by, you know, standing up for LGBTQ people in baseball, by standing up for folks of color in baseball. So if you are not a member of these marginalized communities, you need to do more if you are involved with baseball um, to, you know, pave the road because you can't expect folks who are tired to be on the front lines all the time it's just it's exhausting it's exhausting um and that reminds me of like um matt bowman's tweet the other day after after brenneman said the slur so like obviously amir garrett came out in support of lgbtq communities saying like if you know you're against lgbtq folks you're also against me um, Matt Bowman also had a really good tweet out there that said LGBTQ plus community as a member of the Reds organization. I am so sorry for the way you were marginalized tonight. There will always be a place for you here in the baseball community. And we are so happy to have you here. Like that was a better apology than what Brenneman said. And Bowman didn't even do anything wrong. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you're leaving it up to the, the players and thank god there's some good ones because like man like it's just it, it, i'm wondering is that what it's gonna take because we've seen a lot of players you know leading the black lives matter movement they're a lot more vocal on twitter so will it have to come within in order for change because clearly mlb is incapable of instituting any sort of change meaningful change I think I think it has to be. I think it like this is part of like my my own personal philosophy where it has to be like you know, it doesn't it change is hard to come from top down approach, so it can't just be like MLB having Billy Bean going out there and doing his spring training seminars about LGBTQ plus inclusivity. It's also got to come from the players. It's got to also come from bottom up and holding people at the top accountable. Um, and I kind of saw that with Joey Votto's statement. Um, there was a Cincinnati Inquirer article about like players' reactions 
to um, Tom Brenneman said it. And Votto's statement to me was really interesting because he said he was wary of speaking on things like that because he's not a perfect person. But he said it was still important that it is acknowledged that it is wrong. And I think that's like an important takeaway from for everything, like especially with like a white player like Votto. It's like he's aware that what he's going to say is not perfect but knows he still needs to take a stand against it. And, like, to me, that shows, like, okay, he's learning. He's still, like, actively trying to do better, but also knows, like, he's got to call it out. And I just hope that other players see it and realize, okay, we got to do that with our platform, too. Yeah, and, I mean, we've talked about this on the pod in the past in the context of domestic violence and how... Um, we like the the players need to create an environment where these this sort of behavior is unacceptable, and you're no longer accepted in the clubhouse if you participate in this sort of behavior. Um, and I think that the same sort of principle applies here. Like if you're the type of person that casually drops a homophobic slur in in the dugout, like unless you're called out by your teammates. I feel like there's not like you're not going to be inclined to change in any way. So it's it's going to be not just about what they say publicly on Twitter, but how they act in private um, in the clubhouse when the doors are closed, um, when it's, you know, locker room talk, as they say, um, when that goes down, like who's going to actually be the one that says like, hey, that's not cool. Um, and hopefully by by what we've seen from Bowen and uh, Amir Garrett and Vado and others. Um, hopefully that will start to be called out in the clubhouse. And that might be um, a, a, an indicator that change is coming and that, you know, players might be um, players in the future might be more comfortable being who they are in the clubhouse, which will hopefully lead to more important change around the game. Because like I said earlier, it's not just, it's not just players being a reflection of the fan base. It's, you know, creating this sort of environment in front offices because Jen didn't feel welcome in a front office necessarily. Um, So it's about front offices. It's about broadcast booths. It's about people who cover baseball media rooms. It's about, you know, every aspect of the game um, being inclusive. Um, So hopefully, hopefully there will be a positive change. Yeah, that's heartbreaking to think about because, like, think of all the talent we could be missing out on if people are don't want, can't be themselves and don't want to get involved in the game. Like, the game could be so much better to have have different voices and different perspectives, and we're we're missing that. Exactly, and like that's why like I want to help hold everyone in MLB accountable because like I even though I like for me I feel like the ship has sailed for me like I don't really have any interest in working for an MLB front office at least in this time right now but like I still want to see a change because I know there's going to be more people who are like me and might feel like unwelcome in these spaces but like they really want to work in MLB and like I don't want to see anyone else have the same experiences as me because they were pretty terrible experiences and like I'd rather like I'd rather that it never happened but like 
I also want it to never happen again because like I I see so many people who are just like graduating college right now and are like I want to work in MLB but I don't have a way in and not only like do they not have a way in like they might feel uncomfortable when they get there and they want to leave and that's not an uncommon thing because I have heard of a lot of people from marginalized backgrounds who do get into front offices and sometimes they just stay there because it is an MLB job but they're miserable and I don't want to see that keep happening yeah and it's like it, it it extends the branches of this extend so much further than people think because like MLB thrives so much on like unpaid internships and like things like that and if you're not a person who is in a privileged position you can't take a job like that that is often a bridge to a front office job you know so it's not just about it's it's about the more like the the more like sinister like underground ways of excluding people that isn't just like out and out like what you think of as obvious exclusion um it's it's things like unpaid internships that are a huge problem in gaining access to the spaces that you need to get access to in order to rise up in the ranks of an MLB front office um that are huge problems so like all these yeah, like all these college kids that come up now are so much smarter than me and i'm like oh jesus <laughs> christ like baseball would benefit so much from like your intellect and you spent like you know an hour on in r like coding this come on like <laughs> <laughs> no that's that's exactly it because i remember when i was still in grad school i went to saber analytics and the only reason i was able to go to saber analytics was because i got one of the scholarships for that but like the fact that I could not afford a four hundred dollar like fee to get into Saber Analytics, and then like the whole lodging and travel and everything like that that already was you know a barrier to trying to get to Saber. And then when I'm there, Angels GM Billy Epler said to me and a couple other college kids, they're like, "Oh, you're young, you know how to live cheaply." And I was like, "That's not the point." The point is that, like, some of us need to be able to afford to live. And um, Anaheim is not the cheapest place to live. Like, <laughs> if I'm lucky, I can rent a closet for $500 in Anaheim. So it's not about living cheaply. It's about affording to live. And, like, I don't know, like, people who say stuff like that don't take into account the fact that like someone might have like underlying healthcare costs that they're paying for because this country's healthcare system is totally fucked. And like some people might have, you know, like relatives that they are caring for in addition to themselves. Like people just think that college kids are all about like eating ramen noodles and providing only for themselves. Like a lot of them have to work jobs to provide for family members that are not them. And other issues that they have going on in their lives that are not their fault and you know that they have to pay for it so it's like it's such an oversimplified view to be able to be like oh you're a college kid you're used to roughing it it's fine like ugh. some uh, some people can rough it and some people can't you know and that's and that's the thing because like i went to a historically women's college that is like 63 percent people of color so i'm like i saw like a lot of my classmates 
having to work like 35 hours a week on top of taking classes full time. So I'm like, it's not a matter of like being able to rough it. It's like they need to survive. And I know MLB does not pay for like relocation costs. Um, And that's also another thing. It's like you want people to move from one city to like maybe New York or Seattle or San Francisco and not help them with moving costs that are probably worth thousands of dollars. Like, are you serious? And that automatically starts to exclude people who are LGBTQ because, you know, a lot of them do. A lot of them are coming from like different circumstances and like, who knows, like, you know, they might not have family support because their family isn't okay with them being LGBTQ or some of them might be going through like transition costs and it like a lot of insurances don't cover transition costs and if you're lucky you know maybe um, Medicare will be able to cover it but like still that's a lot of money and then for BIPOC like it's already a systemic issue that you know, people of color get paid less than white people. So it's like, if they have a different offer that doesn't include relocation costs, like, I don't blame them for not taking the MLB job. Because MLB, it's kind of like you have to pay to play. It reminds me of the Pecos League, which is an independent baseball league where you have to pay to be able to play in a game there. And that to me is already ridiculous. So, like, MLB sometimes feels like a pay-to-play situation to be able to work there. Yeah, it definitely it definitely feels that way, and, even to me. And this is still MLB. Like, they made $10 billion last year. Like, come on. It's just statements like that. They're just so, so flippant and so, like, even take just a regular college kid who's you know has like no other responsibilities but how is it okay that they can't afford to live like and they're probably saddled in debt and with student loans and everything else and but it's still not okay that they have to eat ramen noodles for dinner it's it's just it's just grating that that's that seems that's supposed to be normal in this country well, America glorifies, like, you know, hustling till you die, which is like, yeah. the yeah. most ridiculous, awful mindset imaginable. Capitalism! Um, yeah. and, and I feel like that's why, like, if the environment has always been like that already, like, of course, LGBTQ people are not going to feel comfortable in a front office. So, it's like, that's why, like, I've seen an article in the LA Times from LZ Granderson where it says, like, it's not about Tom Brenneman. If he changes, great. If he doesn't, I'm not surprised. But the whole thing that MLB needs to do is to investigate why the culture is the way that it is. And um, I'll send you both the article from the LA Times to link to it. But, like, it was a good piece because it says, like, it's it's a bigger problem than just Tom Brenneman saying it. It is a league-wide issue. Right. Like, he's just, he's just an example of a larger problem. Um, well, you also had everybody bending over backwards to excuse Hater, and, like, oh, he was a kid, it's, you know, he's learned, 
so there's just there's no and i think the same thing with like trey turner and it was oh you know those didn't mean anything so like the excuses just kept coming so it they were already kind of i don't want to say normalizing it but they didn't there was no consequences so what would stop somebody else from saying it and clearly that kept happening right like hater was just a kid when he tweeted those uh-huh. slurs it's like well tom Brennan's a grown-ass man um. mm-hmm. and and that was the other thing it's like hater was like 17 18 when he tweeted that and was like Sure, he might be a kid, but like also when I was a kid, I knew not to say slurs. So yeah. that's also yeah. a telling of his <laughs> upbringing there. Like, yeah, I remember when I was like, I remember when I was like maybe eight or nine, and I said like a ableist slur, and my dad was like, "No, you're do not say that again. I'm gonna punish you because you know, like you have family who's autistic. You cannot say that." And like. Immediately after that, I knew it. Seven years old, like, I could not say that word, and I never said it again. And like, the, the fact that he was a kid doesn't excuse him. It's like, kids should know better when they're 17 if, you know, kids were able to understand when they're seven that they can't say it. So even more so with Brenneman, he's like, he didn't know that it was homophobic or, like, it's like, no, you have no excuse at this point, especially when MLB is, you know, putting out all that rainbow capitalism. It's like, you're in your 50s at this point. You've got no excuse, dude. Well, did like, you read his apology that he wrote the next day? I did. And Ugh. that's where he's like, I didn't know it was being homophobic. And I was like, come on. Are, are you are you serious? Like, I mean, sure, maybe he doesn't know what being homophobic encompasses because there's a lot, but it's also like it—it's a slur. It's known as a slur. Kobe Bryant was fined for using it as a slur in 2011, which um, that LA Times article also brought up. So it's like it—it's been in the sports world that it's a slur how like i'd like to know the rock that he's living under because it seems nice (laughs) and like i mean i'm not gonna i'm obviously not gonna repeat what he said but if you listened to what he said you know that he knows it's a slur (laughs) that's that's all i'm gonna say about that is like he he weaponized the word he weaponized the word if you weaponize if you know enough about the word to weaponize the word you know it's a slur and he knew enough not to say it on air. He just didn't know he was on air at the time. So if it's not something you would say, like, where the public can hear you, then you probably shouldn't be saying it. Yeah. And, like, also, like, using it derog- in, like, a obviously derogatory manner, but also implying <laughs> that it's, like, a bad thing that, like, it's a gay capital. I'm like, oh, is there supposed to be something wrong with a lot of gay people? Like... Yeah, I, like, <laughs> yeah, it, it doesn't make sense. It's like they're they're people. They're they're not doing anything to you. Like they're existing. Is that a problem? Like really? Yeah, it was it was very it was very confusing. <laughs> like what he said and the way he said it. It was just like 
it is infuriating and also like what are you even talking about <laughs> baseball it's it's i think like what's the most disheartening thing about all of this is just like like i think it goes back to like how many people who are in these marginalized communities who wish they could be like who wish they could work in baseball or like want to work in baseball it's i think like nothing hurts more than the thing you love being reminded that the thing you love so much does not love you back and that's what I feel every time I see a new like domestic violence case and the fallout that comes from that and how nothing changes. Like it reminds me that as a woman, baseball doesn't love me back. And when you add the uh, when you add LGBTQ identity on top of that, that's even that's even more fold. Like it's just it's so it's so saddening every time you like this thing that you pour your soul into that you love so deeply doesn't give a shit about you. It's, it's yeah, sad. it hurts. That's that's where like all like intersectionality comes to play because like everyone's of all different identities and like there's these intersections and it's so clear that if you are not a white straight cis man, MLB does not love you. Yep. yep. And like I think it's important to mention here that um I think that this connects interestingly with um the the stats that came out recently about viewership in 2020 and how it's actually up um in MLB compared to last year um which you know I think is partially like covid driven because like MLB is kind of the only game in town or at least it was for a little while it's not anymore but um like you know people and people are you know working from home or not working uh, in the unfortunate case of some folks having lost their jobs but you know they're home and they're watching because they can't go out um and so I think that that drives part of it but interestingly enough the the other part is that it's up primarily among women and young people that's what's driving the uptick in viewership and I think that and people treated it like this whoa like women and it's like yeah <laughs> like, yeah shocking like, it, it's been around for a while it, it, it's not just <laughs> men like can we get the Viagra ads out of here now too like really oh my god the amount so. of Roman ads I've seen on MLB Ugh. TV this year already is just staggering um, but it's, it's like, a yeah, lot like, on ESPN people who are not straight white cis men like like baseball and watch it and write about it and cover it and want to talk about it and like you should create an environment that makes them feel like they are wanted <laughs> and right now you're really which, not no nope. which if i can plug something here um myself and stephanie springer who is a baseball writer she's been at the hardball times and numerous other places she and i are helping organize something that this community that we're creating has called itself the anti-old boys network. Um, it is specifically a place where non-cis men, so like women, trans folks, non-binary folks, gender non-conforming folks, and anyone who's not white ha can come in and it's a place to network with people who work for teams. If you're looking for a job, also like trying to find ways to change the culture within MLB. So like if you're interested, if anyone's interested in like, you know, working in baseball and also wanting to change the culture, like send me a DM, we'll add you in. That's awesome. That um, is awesome. 
And definitely share like the de- details with us as they come because we will obviously use our channels to promote that um, where however we can. So yeah, um, that's awesome. Stephanie's Stephanie's yeah. great. Um, we are Stephanie and I are kindred spirits as, as scientists that write about baseball. So and we both wrote um, COVID things for um, baseball prospectus about COVID and baseball and. She's such a great um, writer and, you know, person to have on a project like this alongside you. You guys are going to do a great job with that. That's awesome. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah. And one of the things that we've been, you know, part of what sparked this is like trying to do like monthly Zoom calls or like Zoom forums and trying to like, like, I didn't want to like completely shape how those Zoom calls look like and neither did Stephanie. So we're doing it like very community based and um doing monthly webinars maybe and like really helping change the culture this way so um that's also something that we're gonna have out so like we're planning our september zoom forum soon so it's it's a small thing but like we're really really adamant about changing the culture because like as we've all said here like it's depressing for anyone who's not a white straight cis guy but it needs to change and a change isn't going to come from the top. Right. Exactly. And it, I, I, I'm already imagining how great it's going to be to like call it's like open a zoom call and just see a bunch of faces that, you know, you feel like you're reflected in. Um, and you're like, finally, I have found my people. It's like such a good feeling when that happens. So I, I hope that you can make that happen for people. Um, yeah. And like for our like. first, for our first Zoom call, we already had like thirty plus people on there, so like oh, wow. it, it's still That's growing. Awesome. So like the fact that we have thirty plus people who are like either college students or already people who are working for teams, like you know, joining in. So it's like a mix of everyone, and like really working on getting more people through the door and changing the culture so people stay. So it's. It's a good thing, and I'm hoping that it continues. That's well, fantastic. yeah, anything we can do, let us know, because that sounds fantastic. So definitely keep us keep us updated. I will. I will definitely. For sure. Um, with that, um, we like to close the show on a happy note each week, so we will do what we do every week and end the show with Walk Off Wins, where each of us talks about what is making us happy this week, baseball-related or otherwise. Jen Ramos, what is your Walk Off Win? Um, I would have to say is my um, my weekly Zoom calls with um, California League colleagues where it's just once a week we're all on a Zoom call. I'm like one of the few folks on there who's not a broadcaster in the California League. I'm a beat writer there basically, but like they invited me on and we we're just all like kind of hanging out and trying to get through what would have been the minor league season um, and just talking is how we normally do when we're at games so every week i have that that's awesome my friends and i have a zoom book club every week now since quarantine started and it's just been nice like every week i just get to see like some familiar faces that bring me comfort no matter how good of a or bad of a week i'm having you know yeah and it it's for me like it brings me joy because it's like all these you know baseball people and we're just hanging out and talking about whatever like doesn't have to be baseball but like we're all baseball people so it's nice i mean there's no substitute for getting together but 
it is it's something that I feel helped me too is like you said still see familiar faces and still kind of get together and you know it's it helps keeping you connected to people you care about and people you you know who are probably you know feeling some of the things you're feeling without you know the minor league season so it's always a good it's another good outlet to have I think Totally. Linda Surovich, what is your walk-off win for this week? Uh, my walk-off win, I, th- I feel like I haven't had a baseball one in a while, so I decided to go baseball, and I'm picking Dom Smith. Because Dom Smith rules. Dom Smith has been oh, just such a joy to watch. Like, I remember I was super sick at the end of February, and... You know, I didn't realize it at the time that I should have been savoring all the spring training games I could watch while I was homesick from work. And it was when they were mic'd up. And it was, I can't tell you how much joy that brought me, is seeing them mic'd up. And they were hilarious during the game. And Dom Smith was the highlight. And it was great to see like because then the video went viral and it was great to see like kind of everybody else get introduced to the dom we know and everybody else like love dom like we do so but now he's just killing it like i'm so glad they didn't they didn't trade him and and i think there's a like i i was on the trade dom smith bandwagon I'm embarrassed a bit to now because I didn't think there was a place for him on the team. But I think you absolutely have to make a place for him now. And he's just fun to watch. He's easy to root for. And just one of the... The season's been awful for so many reasons. But he's been one of the bright spots. So thank you, Dom Smith, for bringing, bringing some joy to the 2020 season. Yeah love Dom I mean I think that like embarrassingly too like I I, I kind of was on of the same mind as you Linda I was like they kind of have to trade him because like Pete Alonso ain't going anywhere and like what what are they gonna do with Dom and like it was more like and I still feel tinges of this occasionally but it was more like uh, I want him to spread his wings so he can fly somewhere else because like he deserves to be a team's everyday first baseman Yeah. yeah And so, like, I kind of was, like, trade him for his sake, not, like, for the Mets' sake. Like, you know, he'd be better off because if if he got traded to another team, he'd be the everyday first baseman. But, you know, I was, like, you know, I hate to say it, but the DH, like, being in the National League has made a huge difference in this regard. And I've we have always been an anti-DH podcast because we are are National League assholes. We love the DH. We hate the (laughs) DH. We love love pitchers. We love pitchers who rake. We love pitchers who rake on this podcast, but Jake rakes. Um, and but you know, I hate to say it, it's been all because of the DH that Dom has gotten to flourish this year because it allows him to it allows him to get at bats. And so, for that small reason, I'm thankful for the NLDH this year. I don't know. I, I seems like it's going to be a thing moving forward, almost definitely. So, just going to have to get used to it anyway. Yeah. If it needs more Dom, I get, I'll make my peace with it. Exactly. Initially, I was always like more suspicious than yes, but now I'm more Dom than yes. I'm of the mindset now. I'm just like waiting for a manager in the NL to make like put someone 
in like basically getting the DH taken out. Like, <laughs> who's who's gonna be the manager who makes a boneheaded enough move? I can and, guarantee you, it's the best. <laughs> and get the DH removed. And like, I think Joe Madden did that yesterday. Actually, he did. <laughs> and I was like, this is a chef kiss right here. And I think they ended up having like Anthony Bemboom pitching, and then because they put in like someone like a position player to pitch, they lost a DH or something. It was a mess, and it was beautiful. I'm not surprised to show bad. I'm actually surprised at how bad the Angels are. I didn't realize it until today. They think they're the worst team in the league. How'd that happen? I don't know, because I thought Trout was doing so well, but that's just my knowledge of the Angels is Mike Trout. <laughs> and they have Anthony Rendon. Do they not have Anthony? Is Anthony Rendon is hurt? Is he hurt? Anthony Rendon is still there. Like, well, the last series that I watched him in, like, I think it was against the A's, he was playing there. But um, they, Joe Madden did leave Shohei Otani in to pitch a little too long and might have re-injured Otani. So. Uh, ugh. Okay. He's back to just DHing purely, so I'm just like, you, you don't leave in a guy that long when he has he's just recovering from pitching injuries. So that was that was pretty bad. Unfortunate, because the Angels are fun. So that's, yeah, um, yeah. But and they okay. are they are officially now the worst worst team in baseball at, with a two nine and twenty two record and a. <laughs> And a 290 win winning percentage. Oh. The Pittsburgh Pirates are next to that with a 7 and 17 record oh. and a 2.92 winning percentage. Oh, oh yikes! Meanwhile, surprised. meanwhile, the Orioles are good. <laughs> Birdland. I I want to say I called it because in my preseason picks for baseball prospectus, I said it would be an Orioles Dodgers World Series. Yes, Ooh. let's do it. Let's do it. I'm ready. I'm um, ready. I, I called Reds Rangers, so I can't. Uh, I that's can't not back- looking so good. No, it's not. But <laughs> I don't want to backtrack. <laughs> I'm on. I'm on the Lance Lynn bandwagon. There you go. The Rangers are not playing well as a whole. Oh no, God! They ran in. They ran hard into karma. Slam Diego. So yeah, that was 100 percent karma for them. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I like to think so. Um. So my walk-off win for this week um, is that I finally started my new job, which is exciting. Yes. Um, So I am now officially a policy analyst at the National Human Genome Research Institute, which is awesome. I'm very excited. Uh, I I had been, uh, you know, trying to start this job for a while now. Like, I got hired what feels like ages ago. I guess it was... I guess it was June, Um, but, uh, you know, the federal government doesn't always work at the fastest pace in the world, and plus they're adjusting to, you know, um, COVID-19 and telework and stuff, so just, like, getting all my, like, clearances and access to, like, you know, to telework and to the VPN and everything turned out to be a more complex process than we had anticipated, Um, so that delayed my start date. I'm also a contractor, too, which, like, adds a whole extra layer of, like, bureaucracy to it because i'm dealing with like like i'm not dealing with the government directly i'm like the government and i are both dealing with this third party contracting agency so that's special but 
I am officially started now, so that's exciting. And you know, Ooh. the stuff that I work on is like you know, it's 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 really cool to get to like live the life that I imagined when I was younger. Like this is like my dream job. It's like exactly what I wanted when I started grad school, and I started thinking like, hmm, like I don't think I want to do like actual science when I graduate. I think I'd like to do like policy work and like you know, like really help like integrate genomic science into like modern medicine and like like beg congress for money to make that happen and like get like you know get people to care about genetics and science and like this is like exactly that type of job so it's it's really cool and i'm really excited and you know we'll see what happens but i'm excited that's awesome congrats yeah thank you luck in your new job thank you it's really cool to like update my email signature with like my new title and like all that stuff like it always it's always like really fun to be like i feel so cool now (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, that's exciting, and um, Michael's starting his new job, and so it's like a big era of transition, so um, everybody's, and my friends are all like moving and starting jobs and getting married, I guess this is what your late 20s is like, (laughs) you know, so um, it's exciting, but yeah, that's my walk-up win for this week. Um, but in the meantime, um, you can go to amazingavenue.com, check out all of our Mets content. Um, we're covering all of the news updates of who's pitching what game at what time. <laughs> and, you know, we have game recaps, even the double headers for you guys. Every single game we have recaps for you over at amazingavenue.com. You should check out Jen and everyone else's work at Baseball Prospectus. Um, they run a fantastic site there. You should absolutely be reading it for all of your, um, for all of your statistics needs, for all of your prospect needs, and for all of your baseball analysis needs in general. Um, check out Baseball Prospectus, and you can follow Amazing Avenue on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Amazing Avenue. You can follow each of us on Twitter. I am at Petite PhD. Where are you, Linda? At Linda Servage. And where can listeners find you on the internet, Jen Ramos? Uh, Jen Mac Ramos. Awesome. Uh, so follow each of us on Twitter. Follow the show on Twitter. You can um, subscribe to the podcast on Apple, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify. Apple and iTunes are the same thing. Whatever. Wherever you get your podcasts from, your favorite podcast app of choice. Um, Subscribe to the show. Rate and review. It really helps people find the show. The intro and outro music to this podcast is by Bunga. Let's go Mets. And don't forget, there is no crying in podcast.